You are listening to Future Net Zero, a platform to help businesses and the wider community improve our lives and our planet by achieving net zero. In this interview, our editor Sumit Bose interviews James Close, head of the Circular Economy Programme at the London Waste and Recycling Board. James, thank you for taking time out. I know you're a busy man. And, you know, what we're trying to do with this platform is to say that we believe that if you want to get to the net zero pathway, you take businesses with you. But I want to start with something very simple. What what does net zero mean to you? Because there are lots of different definitions. How do you see it? Well, thanks, Summit, for inviting me to talk. having this conversation with you. Um, I've been thinking about this quite a lot. I think the first thing to say about net zero is it's it's a really important aspirational target because it's so much better than saying we're going to reduce emissions by 80% because we have to get to that end point of net zero. You can't leave the really difficult bits mm. for future years. So the whole transformation that we're undertaking has to get us to that net zero point. I think the second thing to say is there's lots of different ways of getting there. Um, clearly, we've got to decarbonize electricity production and the grid, and that's going to be a very important part of it. But electrification is only, what, 20% of emissions? So we've got to think about the rest of the emissions mm-hmm. that we produce. And the thing that we focus on here um, and in the Circular London program is consumption-based emissions. Mm-hmm. And how are we going to reduce consumption-based emissions? So that's everything that we consume from food to clothes to plastics to the built environment we've got to find a way of decarbonizing and that means that not only are we going to have to produce these better we're going to have to use them in a different way and the thing that we uh, subscribe to in the circular economy is you know reusing reducing repairing and recycling and recycling is the sort of action of last resort and we make these Uh, products and services go round the system in perpetuity and that will help us to get to that net zero position because we have a closed loop of the activities that are undertaken. Because there is a definition that's been on, you know, you've been in many different visors, we've known each other for years and you've seen the progression here, you know, there was a way of doing it which is I'm going to burn loads of stuff, I'm going to plant a bunch of trees, I'm going to offset. I think that conversation is sort of dying or going. Yes, there is an element of offsetting, which is always great. But the whole thing is this, as you say, the circular, the life of how much carbon is in something, you know, from the clothes we're wearing to, you know, the the computers we have. And we've had, you know, I'm pretty old. I think you and I are probably similar (laughs) age. You know, people used to repair things, right? You tell you it didn't work. You took it to a bloke who repaired it. You hoovered it now. You just get rid of it. Your car used to be fixed by people yourselves. You'd have a go and tinker. So is there a thing now where we've actually created a business model where we have a society built on waste? We, we, we use and then we discard. We don't go and say, how can we improve the lifespan? Yeah. Well, that's completely the definition of the linear economy, which mm. we're currently locked into. And you know, we're starting to change that. And we're starting to make the case for the benefits that come from repairing, both from an economic perspective, the life cycle cost of these uh, products becomes less, uh, but also the quality and the type of jobs that are produced because um, artisan repairers is a skill in its own right. And getting people uh, skilled up to do those sorts of things creates good jobs. And they also are local and in the local community because you have to have a point of contact that you uh, deliver these to. So 
We can see all kinds of benefits from uh, the decarbonisation and the reduced emissions point of view through to the better jobs, from the greater engagement in communities and the way in which communities rebuild themselves to the uh, redefinition of the high street. Um, and I think that's really exciting and I think uh, we should uh, look at those opportunities and think about how businesses can create the business and models of the future that enable that to happen. This is all about waste, okay? We're here, you, you deal with the waste of London, you work with the authorities in the GLA. Why do we have such a problem with waste? Because we've all sort of over the last few years gone, oh, we're going to recycle, we're going to yeah. put these in the green box and these in the brown box, mm -hmm. or whatever. And then you end up finding that a lot of it ended up still in landfill or being incinerated. Yeah. We still have a big issue, don't we? Yeah. Well, waste is complicated. Yeah. I mean, there's lots of different types of waste. And uh, we're also looking at dealing with it in the most efficient way possible. So you, 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 you're trying to create scale so mm. that you can do these things cost effectively and efficiently. Um, and I think also we've got um, a whole series of behaviours that have become adopted over a period of time. And what we're starting to see is a shift in those behaviours and some of the work that we're doing around, for example, Love Not Landfill, which is mm -hmm. about textiles recycling, mm -hmm. is starting to change people's behaviours, making them more aware of fast fashion and its impact on the environment and giving them ways of recycling those clothes so that they can be more environmentally conscious and deal with it in a, a more sustainable way. Um, but, you know, th the other thing I think is important to realise is there's so many different streams of waste. Yeah, from paper to the plastic, to, oh, there's so much, isn't there? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, if you look at food waste, for example, you know, according to the uh, C40 report, it's 13% of emissions in London. Is around 14 million tonnes of the 110 million tonnes of total emissions. Um, so, and food waste, you know, roughly a third of food is wasted. So if you reduce food waste, you reduce emissions. Mm. And then if you think about how you're going to uh, separate the food waste that remains from the other waste streams, you can actually then put it into anaerobic digestion and composting, which is a much more environmentally sustainable way of dealing uh, with food waste. So, you know, we're doing a lot of things uh, to enable that to happen. We're a, a flagship uh, food city with the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, uh, working in Sao Paulo and New York, and that's really focusing on how to deal with food in a more sustainable way. So what are you trying to do? What, what's the aim of, you know, trying to create a circular economy here and now? What are, you, what are you trying to do? You're going to talk to businesses and councils and us as individuals, and uh, am I going to get, like, different, you know, information of what I should do, what, what's the ultimate goal yeah. here? So the three yeah. main actors in this, there's the government, yeah. and that's central government, which has certain policy aspects that it does. The Greater London Authority, which uh, also sets environmental strategy and, and planning. Uh, and then you've got the local authorities, which are implementing on the ground. Um, and they are committed to reducing waste by adopting circular economy principles and the ambition that the mayor has is to make London the world's leading low-carbon circular city. So that's the public side of mm. things. The second aspect you've got is the citizen mm. um, and really helping the citizen to make better decisions by nudging them into changed behaviours. Um, and that's informing them better of uh, ways of doing things so that they can have less of an impact on the environment and they can live a more circular uh, life. Um, and rewarding people when they do really great things. And then the third element 
which is you know, really exciting element, I think, for new business models and new ways of doing things is business. Mm. And we're seeing um, small, medium-sized enterprises coming forward with some fantastic ideas to create these new repair and reuse, different types of, uh, uh, of products that are far more circular. And here uh, in uh, our Circular London program, we've advised 160 of those businesses um, to help them get set up and get underway and to really take advantage of that opportunity of both becoming more circular and creating the circular business models of the future. You may not have the figures down, but roughly, do you know how much waste is recycled in London? Because the definition of recycling is very interesting yeah. because is recycling us taking stuff to the tip? So I've done my bit. Yeah, I haven't thrown it in the rubbish, yeah. I've put it to the tip. Or is recycling actually how much it comes back into society? Because my definition seems to be that recycling is we take stuff and we either incinerate yeah. it, either put it in landfill, or we, we gather what we can and then reuse in another product. Yeah. So that's how I see recycling. Well, how, how much, roughly, if you have an idea, and, and what is recycling yeah. to you? So the consumer level, yes. we have around a third of, uh, uh, of materials are recycled. That's more than I thought. Actually. Yeah, and it's, you know, this is very well measured and yeah. it's reported on an annual basis and tracked and monitored closely borough by borough. Um, so it's a, there's a rigorous evaluation process, um, and we've, we're seeing we're seeing it it's improved over a period of time. It's now starting to stagnate a little bit. I mean, London has been doing better than most places, um, but we need to get to a much higher level of performance. Overall, the target for uh, total recycling across London is 65%. Right, and that includes that includes households, right. which is about a third. That's yeah. about a third and commercial, which is actually quite a bit higher. Right. So uh, I think it's about 45%. So we've still got a way to go to get up to this 65% uh, target that we have. Um, and it'll be driven in part by, you know, much higher increase in, uh, you know, commercial recycling. Um, and obviously the shift we're making in the household recycling as well. Is recycling turning it into another product, in your view? Or is recycling just putting it to use? So it could be energy, waste from it becomes energy, and that's a use. How do you see it? Well, so really it's the stream that these products go into. And right. you know, most people have a bin which has multiple recycling <laughs> yeah. products, and they're again sorted, and these waste streams are separated. You know, plastic, some of it plastic, yeah, and some of it card and paper. Um, you know, card and paper is relatively easy to recycle, and the recycling rate of card and paper is is pretty high. Um, plastics, you know, you, you've got to separate, there's also separation of different types mm. of plastics as well. And you end up with different quality at the end of that uh, process. Um, and that's really another challenge, is how do we raise the quality of what comes out of these recycling processes so that you can uh, reuse some of that material. You see a lot of businesses are putting targets that they're going to use recycled materials yes. in their products. Correct, yes. But you need access to a high quality feedstock. Um, so, you know, these are all challenges that we're uh, facing and the solutions that we're starting to drive through, you know, the work with the boroughs, uh, but also, you know, businesses coming in and, and starting to do things in a different way and to be really innovative about it. That's what the point of this platform is. It's all about how business can do it. And, what do you think the opportunity there? You just ex explained plastic. So if you took the plastic from this office here and it goes into a, a recycling place, there'll be a variety of different plastics. 
are you saying there's actually money to be made by companies that can go, I can take that, find a technological solution to sort yes. it into the best kind of feedstock that then makes mm. the next set of chairs that we use or the next kind of yeah. you know tables that we have? You think there's opportunities yeah. there? Yeah, well, in this office, we've got um, furniture made of recycled plastics. Um, and we've got furniture also made of recycled glass as well. So, you know, there are uh, those products available, um, but it all depends on the quality of the waste mm. stream. So if you can get high quality waste streams, you can uh, repurpose uh, these materials and you can do some really interesting and innovative design ideas that enable them to be uh, more circular. If you don't get that quality, mm. then you're left with materials that are much more difficult to reuse. So that's really, you know, the objective. And, and there's an economic on it. It's not worth it because the feedstock doesn't isn't good enough. So exactly. and the cost is it? Yeah. Yeah. What's the uh, view uh, about the lever? Right. So you'd say there's two things. You know, do I recycle because I've got the choice of bins because my council given it, or will I recycle because I'm going to get fined? You know, the push pull yeah. argument. You said earlier in this interview, you said we need to nudge people. That doesn't sound like you think sort of strong regulation is where we need to go to force us to do these things, otherwise we get fined, or force us to do as a business to recycle. What do you think about that behavioural thing? Because that's the, yeah. the killer element, isn't well, it? I think, I think you've got to make people aware of what they yeah. need to do, and then you've got to make it easy for them to do it as well. Um, and then you've got to sort of let them know when they're doing it well and when they're not doing it so well. And I think... Um, so there should be some regulation? Well, you have to have a system, and the system is the thing that enables it to work. And the system is a combination of processes, behaviours and regulation. And you want to optimise that in a way that you know, makes people want to do it, because if people want to do it, they'll do it better than if they have to do it. Yeah. So you know, that's, the, that's the balance that we're trying to strike around this in a way that... You know, individual boroughs have their own ways of doing it, and that's part of their democratically elected mandate because sure. people care about waste and they care about how it's done. So, you know, there's no sort of right answer about that. I think it's, it's you've got to get the balance right and you've got to get it right for the uh, communities with which you're working. Moving forward, as we look over the next sort of decade, you know, here we are in the capital city of this country and it's happening in Manchester and Leeds and all that, this shift, the shift towards electric cars, mm. the shift towards us being aware. Is there a shift that we're probably not doing enough of, which is the consumerism side in the first place? As you said, do we buy too many things that are fast fashion? Do we, you know, renew our cars too often? Mm. Do we buy clothes? Do we use, you know, upgrade our phones and laptops? Mm. You know, before we even get to that point of, do we need to use it? It's that classic thing in yeah. energy. You know, the the, the, the megawatt you you save is the one that whether you yeah. never used it in the yeah. first place. Is there a real problem how we get into our heads because it fights against in human nature, which is denial. Yeah, I don't want to be denied something, even if I know that yeah. actually I use it. It's not that great for yeah. the planet. How do you envisage us tackling that thing of? changing the way we are the way that you know years ago it was fashionable to smoke yeah. and now it isn't yeah well i think technology helps us here right so you know we now have a phone we don't have a newspaper delivered yes. every day and we get our media through that and that's a whole sort of shift in the way in which we use resources yeah um we have i think there's also 
you know, recognition that there's enormous intrinsic value in a lot of these uh, products, whether it's electrical waste or telephones. So, you know, you really want to take them back and you want to use the valuable materials that are in them. And everybody's sort of incentivized uh, to do that in, in quite a good way. Um, I, th I think, um, you know, the, the, as you look at the kind of underlying data, you know, the consumption-based yes. emissions that are included in the uh, things that we do and the purchases that we make, people become more informed about whether they need to do those things. Should, should we have a label when we go and buy a good, say, this used this much carbon? Yeah, do you some, think that would some, be a good thing? Some products do. Like a kind of, like the food one, which well, is the, yeah. the green, yellow, yeah. red yeah. And, and uh, all of your appliances yeah. have a, a rating yes. on them. Um, so, um, you know, what would you do in, in um, clothes, for example? Because, you know, different textiles have different uh, embedded carbon and, and they, yeah. you know, they all have trade-offs in mm. terms of how they're produced and where they come from. Um, so, you know, I think that's a little bit of a way away to get that real clarity and um, certainty around the footprint of every single product. Um, but I think the general direction is the thing that enables us to think more um, shrewdly about how we do things and what we want uh, to get out of the use of those things. And if you, again, if you project yourself forward to the net zero world in 2050, mm -hmm. it'll be very different in terms of what's being produced. It'll be much more of a service-oriented world than a product-oriented world. Mm -hmm. And you'll be thinking about um, reusing your materials and be in a more sophisticated way. You'll think about you know, sharing uh, your, uh, you know, we've got something called the Library of Things, which is starting to emerge, which is a basically um, where you can borrow uh, saws, drills, the yeah, sorts of things that is. you would purchase. Why would I own it? Yeah, yeah, and you know, there's some statistic about the average drill being used for eight minutes in its lifetime yeah, or something like that. Why would I yeah, 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 you know. Yeah. <laughs> It's really interesting. You never think about that, do you, really? Yeah. And, 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 and so what I want to sort of wrap up with here is um, how important, you know, you've worked uh, in the consultancy field, you've worked with the World Bank, and at the end of the day, I kind of think that there has to be an economic driver mm -hmm. which makes the solutions. Do you think business has switched on to the opportunity? And do you believe we can solve this net zero you know, crisis, whatever you want to call it, but get to getting to that zero, it can only be solved with business solutions. Well, I mean, the first thing I would say is I completely agree that there's got to be an economic driver. Um, you know, we advocated and did a huge amount of work at the World Bank on putting a price on carbon. And you see, you know, the price on carbon increasing in EU ETS. Mm -hmm. um, and you also see businesses using a shadow price of carbon. So they allocate their resources in a, a better and smarter way. So I completely buy on the, the pricing externality is a critical part of getting this right. Yeah. Um, I think the other uh, part of the question that you ask is the opportunities that it presents yes. to business. Well, I think um, the you know, leaders are really going to uh, do extraordinary things that change the way in which uh, we operate, we function, and we consume their products. And you know, Mark Carney talks about the tragedy of horizons. You know, we now have this 2050 policy indicator um, and finance is going to have to follow that. So where is your investment going to go? Mm. You're going to get much smarter asset and liability matching. I mean, I've, my pension fund, 
why would I want something that's going to give me a liability 20 years out yes. when I really want an opportunity and a, an asset? And those are the driving forces, I think, that will enable business uh, to do really smart things and to innovate around uh, this path to net zero. Um, and, you know, we need to get behind those businesses that really want to do this and prepare to make that transition and support them. And, you know, we can do things by making our investments in a smarter, more sustainable way, by buying products that are smarter and more sustainable and supporting businesses that have got new and innovative business models that uh, are going to drive that, you know, exciting uh, future that we all have. Finally, are you hopeful that well, we're on the right path? Because, you know, you know, we're, you know you, we've got kids, right? Yeah, You've got yeah. kids. And are they going to be in a different world to what, how we grew yeah. up? And, and their idea of throwing things away will be different. Yeah. And, and what, what do you envisage? Well, I think we all in the climate movement live between this despair and hopefulness and uh you know you look at what's going on in australia yeah, um, and you start to realize the challenge of environmental degradation and what is going to happen yeah. uh, across the planet i mean some of that there's not much we can do about it we need now need to have approaches that are going to enable us to adapt um, but also on the other side you know we have this enormous human ingenuity that can really uh, drive different solutions that will, I think, pick up some of the uh, some of the momentum that's coming out of uh, this extraordinary movement that's out there. And I think business responds to those kinds of signals. Um, and the leaders and the winners of the future are the ones that are going to show that hopefulness and really respond to the opportunity that's out there. James, thank you very much for your time. My pleasure, Samit. Great to chat to you. Thanks for listening to this Future Net Zero podcast. Please follow us on social media and subscribe to the website at www.futurenetzero.com. Future Net Zero. Better business, better planet.